We're actually going to take a little break from our series in Genesis this evening, as I didn't feel ready to preach on the section of text that we are that we've come to. So we're going to be in Luke 12 tonight, Luke chapter 12, looking at verses 13 to 34 together. Listen as I read. Someone in the crowd said to him, that is Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do so small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray together. Oh God, open up our hearts and our minds to receive your word this evening. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The context here in Luke... 12, 13 to 34 is that Jesus is talking about treasuring. Treasuring. We're all treasuring creatures. Every one of us is a treasuring creature. The question is not, will we treasure something? We're all going to treasure something or someone. The question, rather, that we should ask ourselves is what or whom do we treasure? 
what or whom will we treasure? For we are treasuring creatures. We can't but be treasuring creatures. Jesus sets up a contrast in this section between treasuring wealth and treasuring the kingdom of God. He calls treasuring wealth covetousness. Be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's in verse 15. Treasuring possessions as if your life consisted in them is to covet, is to treasure wealth. And there's a contrast between that and treasuring the kingdom of God. The two are mutually exclusive. We see this contrast elsewhere in Scripture also. We read in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And in Luke 16 and verse 13, we read this, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Listen, you cannot serve God and money. We're going to look at treasuring the world and the things that it offers first. And then we're going to look at what it means to treasure the kingdom of God. First of all, we should note that treasuring the world is not the same as enjoying this world. In 1 Timothy 6, we read that God gives us all things to enjoy. And he, Timothy is charged with reminding the rich that God gives us good things to enjoy. We see that possessing wealth is not identical then to treasuring the world in the sense that Jesus is warning us against in Luke chapter 12. Enjoying the good things that God has given is not identical to treasuring the world in the sense that Jesus warns us against in Luke chapter 12. And there are biblical examples of people with possessions. Luke chapter 8 and verse 3 talks about some women who supported Jesus and his disciples out of their means. Well, if they had enough means to support 13 wandering vagrants, they must have had some means. Luke chapter 23, verses 50 to 53, tells us of Joseph of Arimathea who provided for Jesus' burial. Again, he had some means to be able to take up the funeral expenses of our Lord. So storing up treasures here, which is warned against in Luke 12, is not the same thing as owning property or even living above average. However, there are many warnings in the New Testament about treasuring this world, which can be defined if we were to systematize it, to synthesize what's going on here. 
as an inordinate desire for, a trust in, a confidence in, and a prioritizing of wealth and the things of this world. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Listen, not those who are rich, even those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Again, let me just point out, the love of money. Not money, that's a misquoted verse. Not money is the root of all evil, right? How many times have you heard that? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. Or 1 John 2, 15 to 17, which I read for you a moment ago. Do not love the world or the things in the world. As Bajans, we'd, we'd all do well to heed these warnings because we are all rich. And yes, you heard me right. We are all rich. By a global standard, we are all, each and every one of us, rich. The poorest one among us would still be in the top 25 to 30% of world incomes. You can check out a website called globalrichlist.com and enter in your annual salary and see where you stack up on a world scale. There is a lot of poverty in this world, and here in Barbados, we are spared largely from it. Even those who are poor by Bajan standards are not poor by world standards. And so we should all heed these biblical warnings about treasuring the world. We should heed them all the more in view of the fact that you don't actually even have to possess the world's goods to be in danger. As I mentioned a moment ago, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. We can treasure the world without yet having the world. Consciously or subconsciously, this is a danger to all of us. It's something that affects us all. Why do we tend to treasure this world? Why? Because it appears to offer comfort and security and joy. If you could just have that new furniture, think of how nice it would be when all your friends come over. How nice it would be on a night with a cool breeze blowing to sit out there on the patio and spend time together. Think of, think of how fun it's going to be when you get that new TV. Think of how secure you're going to be when you get a certain kind of house, when you have a, a, some equity to be able to leverage, to do more of what you want and to protect you from being destitute or bankrupt. When you have some assets, the allure of the world is that it appears to offer comfort security and joy we're all susceptible to it our attitude 
towards the world's goods is often like this man in verse 19. You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. We either get to the point where we're like this man, or we're trying to get to the point where we're like this man. Where we say we've got enough goods laid up. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. If I can just have the world, the world's goods, I'll be alright. Whether we go to the extreme, like, uh, a few years ago, I'm not sure what has transpired since, but whether there have been arrests made and court cases in process, I don't know. But a few years ago, uh, El Chapo's sons, uh, obviously ringleaders in the Sinaloa cartel, drug traffickers, used to be all up on Twitter and Instagram posting extravagant pictures of guns, like kilos and kilos and kilos of cocaine all around them, pet lions, stacks and stacks of U.S. bills, beautiful women. Whether, whether you go to the extreme and pursue that kind of opulence, that kind of wealth, and whether, whether that's your mentality, this 50 cent, get rich or die trying kind of mentality, or whether you have more tasteful dreams, yachts, fine wines, fine cigars, cottages, cars, whether you have dreams on one end or the other, or whether you have even more modest dreams, white picket fence, couple well-behaved, nice little kids, rich and poor alike all tend to buy in. Those who are sort of evil and those who are sort of respectable, we all tend to buy in that money, that the things of this world, the goods of this world, are going to help us find comfort and security and joy. However, this world does not truly offer comfort, security, and joy. Look at verse 20. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? How comfortable, how secure, how joyful this man was the night he died. Wealth fails. Verse 33. Money bags grow old. Treasures fail. Thieves approach. Moth destroys. Wealth fails. There are built-in limitations. Either you lose it on this side of the grave. Or it loses its value to you when they put you in the ground. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. Job chapter 1 and verse 21. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 15. Or to go from one end of the musical spectrum to the other. To quote George Strait, 
I ain't never seen a hearse with a luggage rack. Treasuring this world is not only wrong, but dangerous. As always, God's commands are for our own good. If the soul itself be out of tune, outward things will do more, no more good than a fair shoe to a gouty foot. Richard Sibbs. Dressing it up can hide or disguise the disease. Putting a nice shoe on a gouty foot. This is dressing up our lives with the things of the world when there's sickness and disease in here. John Flavel, if, if thou consider thyself a stranger in this world, traveling for heaven, then thou hast as much reason to be delighted with earthly things as a weary horse has to be pleased with a heavy burden. John Knox, even when converted, the rich carry a great weight and run the race to heaven under great disadvantages. In saying this, it's important to note that the absence of riches doesn't necessarily make one pious either. Listen to a quote from John Piper. It would be a mistake to assume that the poor are all humble or generous. The ten lepers were all poor in Luke chapter 17. Jesus healed them all. Nine proved ungrateful. The rich have no corner on selfishness. But it would also be a mistake, Piper goes on to say, to think that the Bible treats riches and poverty as equally dangerous spiritually. Riches are more dangerous. We never read, only with difficulty will a poor person enter the kingdom of heaven. As we read, it's contrary in Matthew 19.23. Listen, the absence of riches won't make a man righteous. But the presence of riches is like a knife to his throat. It's not necessarily lethal. The knife may be lowered. There are ways to manage it. But the rich man is in a precarious position. His wealth will be a, his wealth will be a dangerous threat to his holiness. And something that he must carefully guard his heart against. The Bible says that riches are deceitful. And for this reason, Piper says, wealth is usually a curse and not a blessing. It often deceives us and distorts our view of what is truly valuable. Little children don't have a concept for the value of money. They think that all monies are equally valuable. And so to have more monies is to have what is truly valuable. That's why you can trade a child 50, 25 cent pieces for a hundred dollar bill. Because they think that they're going to have more monies. In a similar way, riches glitter and shine like monies, like coins. And so... Just as little children fall for the glitter and the shine, even we as adults fall for the monies of this world. Instead of trading them for what is far better, the kingdom of God. 
we see all over this text that we ought to treasure the kingdom instead of treasuring the world. Look at verse 21. He talks about the one who is rich toward God. Look at verse 31. He talks about seeking God's kingdom. Look at verse 33. He talks about providing for yourself money bags that do not grow old. Treasure in heaven. We might worry that if we don't amass worldly treasures, we'll be empty handed. If we don't amass worldly treasures, we'll have no treasure at all. And so we think, well, we better try to get what we can then. But look at verse 32. We won't be empty handed. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Even if you don't have the world's goods, God is giving to you, Christian, His kingdom. His kingdom. We'll have the kingdom of God. And the implication is that it's a greater treasure than all this world can afford. The kingdom of God is the immediate rule of Jesus Christ over the created world. And it's worth giving up everything for. The kingdom of heaven, Matthew 13 says, is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Forget the ethics of deceiving the owner of the field. That's not the point of the parable. If you were out walking in, let's say St. John or St. Thomas or somewhere that's not the most ideal place to buy property in terms of the way the market is. And you're walking in this rural, in landlocked piece of property and you find some sort of gem worth millions and you know it's worth millions and you find that you can buy this plot of land for $110,000 and so you go you would go eagerly to do everything you can to get a loan from whomever you can to buy this land because your priority would not be hanging on to what you have your priority would be getting that there would be a shift of priorities that would occur. And Jesus teaches us that the kingdom of heaven is like that. To have that is what really matters. Never mind anything else. Never mind the maybe couple thousand dollars that you've saved up in your bank account. Spend it and find more if only you can get that land. Never mind the things of this world. If only you can have the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. Romans 14, 17 tells us. 
In other words, true comfort, true security, true joy is to be found not in the things of this world, but in the kingdom of God. In God's kingdom, we can have peace, true comfort, because God has made provision for every one of our deepest needs. In God's kingdom, we are truly secure because the righteousness of Christ is ours. And we are justified. In God's kingdom, we can have joy because God Himself is ours. We have the greatest treasure imaginable. God Himself. Imagine you attend a concert of a artist that you love or you want to attend a concert of an artist that you love the most valuable thing that you could possibly get as pertains to that concert is a backstage pass to meet to spend time with that particular artist to have God himself is something like having a backstage pass it's the best thing that there is God Himself. Seek then to get in, first of all, to the kingdom of God. This is by grace, through faith in Christ Jesus. You must be born again. The unbeliever is dead in trespasses and sins. It must be made alive together with Christ. He needs a work of God in his heart to cause his eyes to see God's glory in the face of his son. To cause his ears to hear as the bones in Ezekiel 37 heard the word of the Lord. He needs to experience in himself that rattling sound as bone is joined to bone and as flesh covers them and as life is breathed into them. He needs his soul to be quickened, made alive by God. He needs to respond with faith to the call of Christ. Whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And then Christian, having come in to the kingdom of God, seek to live as a good citizen of the kingdom. Seek the kingdom's advance, the kingdom's growth. Seek to make the king known, to see everything come under his rule. Everything in your life, everything that you have influence upon, bring it under the rule of Christ insofar as you're able. This is what it looks like to seek first the kingdom of God. To treasure the kingdom of God instead of treasuring the world. How it works out in practice. A deep trust in God's sovereignty. This is what verses 22 to 33 are teaching us about. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat. Nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, 
and yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today, tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. We're not to spend our time fretting about the things of this world, how we're going to get them, how we're going to get what we need. We're going to trust God to provide what is needful for us. That doesn't mean that we don't do anything. He says here, consider the birds. Well, the birds go around looking for food. <laughs> nothing around, nothing wrong with going to work. In fact, you should go to work. There's something wrong with not going to work. Nothing wrong with trying to consider how your needs might be met. Consider the lilies of the field. You ever seen a time-lapse video of a flower from sunrise to sundown? You know what it does? It follows the sun. It opens up toward the sun and suddenly shifts all day long to keep itself open toward the sun. There's nothing wrong with doing a little something, even as we talked about in Genesis a little, a little while ago, to try to take care of ourselves. And yet, we're not fretting about these things. We're not anxious about these things. We're not consumed about these things. We're not seeking these things first. Seek first the kingdom of heaven, he says. And so we live our lives like a flower of the field, or like a bird of the air. I have yet to eavesdrop on a conversation among the birds, where they're complaining about how they can't ever catch a break. They can never get ahead and they're not sure how tomorrow is going to turn out. I have yet to hear the lilies of the field whining, complaining, or just stressing, crying about what's going to happen, what might happen down the road. I have yet to see a lily of the field in the doctor's office to have a checkup on their blood pressure because they're a little bit too stressed out. I have yet to see a bird doing the same. We just go about our business. We do what we can. And yet there's an abiding trust in God's sovereignty to take care of us, to provide what's needful for us. And we're not to be known as the people who are seeking first food, clothing, the things of this world. We're to be known as people who are seeking first the kingdom of God. And a deep trust in God's sovereignty allows us to give rather than take all the time. A deep trust in God's sovereignty enables us to spend even perhaps our last dollar on someone else. Because we don't feel like we're the only ones looking out for us. We know that God cares for us. 
were of much more value than the birds. And there may be an instance where someone is in need. And as James says, we are to love not in word or deed only, or pardon me, word or talk only, but in deed and in truth. And we need to open up our wallets, help a brother, help a sister out. A deep trust in God's sovereignty that we're not the only ones watching out for our well-being will enable us to give instead of always taking. And as we do this, we can also, and we should also, trust in God's benevolence. And not only is He sovereign and able to provide, but that He delights to provide for His children. That He delights to give good things that we need to us. We read in verse 30, The nations of this world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. This has to be understood like the Proverbs. It's a general principle. Because we've, we've seen Christians starve to death in human history. And yet, generally speaking, God provides what is needful for us. And even where God allows His children to starve to death, it's not for a lack of care. It's not for a lack of benevolence. Look at verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is the, your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is like Romans 8.32, which you often hear me quote. God who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Listen, the Father has given us His kingdom. Life eternal. Under His Son. Under His Son's rule and reign. If He doesn't provide something that you think you need, Food, shelter, clothing. It's not because He's not benevolent towards you. It's His good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Trust that your Father knows what you need, verse 30. And that generally He is going to provide for you. But if He doesn't, it's not for a lack of benevolence. You are loved by a God who is both sovereign and benevolent. Who cares for you. And so seek First, the kingdom of God and just trust the Father to care for you. Don't be preoccupied with getting the world's goods. Don't be focused on storing up treasure on earth where moth and rust corrupt, where thieves break in and steal. Provide for yourself a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, as verse 33 says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart represents all that is you, the essence of you. Therefore, what Jesus is saying is that if your treasure is in temporal things here below, far from his dwelling place in heaven, then you will remain far away from His dwelling place in heaven. You will never ascend to Him. You'll always be far from Him. But where your, if your treasure is there, 
with Him in heaven, then you are bound to be with Him someday. You will receive what you've always been longing for. The kingdom and His glorious King. So what do you treasure? Be careful not to fall prey to the deceitfulness of riches. Take care, as Jesus says, and be on your guard against all covetousness. Instead, seek the greatest treasure of all, God's kingdom and its King, Jesus. With joy, recognizing its value, sell everything you have to buy that field up in St. Thomas or out in St. John. It's worth it. Give up whatever you have to, if only you may put God first. Give up whatever you have to, if only you may know Christ and make Him known. Give up whatever you have to, if only you may walk in obedience to God. Give up whatever you have to, in order that He may be first and foremost all the days of your life. Forego advancements in career that will not profit you spiritually. Forgo transfers that are going to take you away from a good church. Forgo anything in your life that's going to make something else other than God's kingdom first or central. It's going to be the. Def- it's going to make anything else the defining feature of your life. Settle it in your mind that you're going to treasure Christ and His kingdom above all else. Whatever that means for your earthly state. Give up everything that you need to for the treasure of God's kingdom and the king. It's worth it. Trade your pile of monies for a stack of crisp $100 bills. Seek first the kingdom of God.